My guest on this week's episode is Tanika Taylor. She is the founder of Pink Heart Foundation, based in Chicago, Illinois. Tanika talks about the loss of her grandmother to breast cancer that inspired her creation of the Pink Heart Foundation. We also talked about barriers to medical care within the African-American community, as well as the mission of Pink Heart Foundation. Take a listen in as Tanika shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Thanks so much for being with me today, Tanika. No problem. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about Pink Heart Foundation. Um, so it was started back in 2017. And I'd like to get a little bit of history about the organization, um, just kind of why you started it. Uh, you know, what was the inspiration behind it? Well, actually, my grandmother, uh, she passed away 2000 and actually 2017. So I started the foundation 2018. So, yeah, my grandmother, uh, she battled cancer, breast cancer for a while. Um, it was a total of about 14 years. Oh, wow. Um, yes. When she first got diagnosed, um, it was in remission for about seven. You know what? Maybe it was longer than that, about eight, eight or nine. Um, after that, it did come back. So um, I was at the time I was educating myself about what it was that she had because I really wasn't, you know, that educated about it. And I didn't take it that serious. So the demise of my grandmother is basically how I came up with the Pink Heart Foundation. Okay. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, unless it really hits us, um, we don't necessarily think about it. Like, you know, I, I agree. Yeah. Like the, the fact that you said, you know, you just weren't educated about it. Like, I don't, I don't remember having conversations about like, oh, you should um, have a, you know, do self breast exams. I mean, they talked, mm -hmm. they talked about doing it, <laughs> but not like, this is how you do it. And, you yeah. know, kind of really guiding us through those kinds of things. Um, it, it didn't seem to be too important. Yeah, exactly. So was there a, um, was there any kind of family history with your grandmother's breast cancer? Was there anybody else in the family that had it? Nope, it wasn't. She was the first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm sure that probably was, um, you know, that, that hit hard. Um, it know, did. It, yeah. I mean, not that, not that it's any easier when you have a family history of it, but um, you know, when it, when it just kind of comes out of left field and there's no, there's nothing behind it, I suppose, um, right. can be. Because when she told me, it was kind of one of those things like, oh, okay, you know, well, she's going to have, you know, treatments for it and it's going to go away. So I didn't know that it can go away and it can come back. You know, I didn't know that. I just thought that, okay, well, she got it. They got some for it and that's it. So I really didn't, I really didn't think too much about it. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I think that's a big misconception. And I, when I talk to other um, women, mostly who are going through it, um, who are early stage, you know, that's one of the mm -hmm. things that I always have that conversation about is, you know, it can be early stage, but there are still a number of women, well, and men, technically, but um, who end up developing a later stage of breast cancer, you know, a little bit time later. Because I don't think they do a very good job of telling us that stuff. <laughs> you know, they not just, at all. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like, well, this is the stage and that, that you are, and um, nothing and more after the, that. Feel that's just not to cut you off. That's like a whole nother episode. Yes, <laughs> of what I think about them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of um, 
you know, the, the pink heart foundation, what did you feel like was missing that? Cause I always feel like that's how things start, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. you know, products are created or foundations are started, charities are started because there was something that was missing. So what did you see um, that you felt like was missing within the community that you serve? Well, based off uh, my experience with the situation with my grandmother, the awareness was one of the most important parts. Now, after you make your community aware, the next thing would be supporting those survivors. Because a lot of one, one thing about a person that's battling cancer, thank God it wasn't me, but me and my grandmother was really close and I watched everything. So she was lucky enough to have that support system. A lot of people don't have that support. Mm-hmm. So just imagine a person going through this by themselves. You know, they have no support. They have nobody to talk to. They have nobody to help. They just have nothing. So I felt that that was one thing that I wanted us to do, you know, is just to make, um, just raise awareness more in the African-American community and to assist the survivors in any way possible. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think, um, you know, for me, the, um, the whole thing about like the African-American community and the lack of awareness and treatment and education, um, really is something that just genuinely breaks my heart. Um, you know, and I, I, I did a research study and I found like staggering statistics about, Mm -hmm. you know, just the, the survivorship or the lack thereof for, um, you know, the African-American community. And one of my dear friends, uh, we were diagnosed the same year and met shortly after she's, um, living in Texas now, but she's from, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. But, you know, one of the things she had said to me is, you know, if anything ever happens to me, I just hope that you will work to help the African-American community um, in terms of breast cancer and making sure that there is mm-hmm. awareness and education and, you know, just that support and making sure that people are surviving this. Okay. That yeah. was, that was great. Yeah. So, I mean, I love, I love the fact that that's what you're doing. So what are the things, um, you know, what are some of the things that you're doing to help support the awareness? Um, well, as far as the support we have, uh, um, like this year, everything was, you know, put yeah. on pause because <laughs> of COVID. <Yeah. laughs> so, um, one thing that we did establish, like I said, is the breast cancer awareness and a survival brunch. Um, we get together with a lot of the black owned businesses in the community. Fortunately, I do have a relationship with a lot of restaurant owners. So they, you know, they donate food for the brunch. Um, we create our own little adult beverage. Uh, I think for the last two years we were doing um, pink mimosas, where it's just a mimosa, but it's pink. You know, we decorate really pretty. We let them come out. Um, we have people come out and educate. We have vendors. Um, we just, we have a really good time. We have a DJ like I say, when a person is diagnosed and they're going through what they're going through, they're emotional. You know, they again, they may feel alone. So I just want them to come out and have a good time with us. I want them to be able to sit down and talk to, you know, other counterparts that's going through the same thing that they're going through so they know that they're not alone. And when it comes to just the general public or the population, I understand why they don't trust healthcare providers. Again, that's a, a totally different episode. But from my experience with my provider, they, they just don't help enough. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, if they're not going to help, we got to help each other. Right. So the, the, the first thing is to educate. If I mean, you can't fault a person for not knowing. If they're not taught, if they're not educated, if nobody is sharing that information with them, how could you fault them? Mm-hmm. Now, once we give that information and let them know this is what you all need to do, you know, these can be some symptoms, these, you know, anything that they need, just go and get it checked out. Don't be afraid to get it checked out. Yeah, I would be more afraid of what would happen if I didn't get it checked out. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
Um, so obviously this year is probably a little bit different. Um, like you said, um, you know, so, so the brunch, I mean, first of all, it sounds like one heck of a time. Um, yes, we sounds, really do. We have a good time. <laughs> yeah. It sounds <laughs> like do. a blast. <laughs> and you know what, last year we incorporated, um, uh, in, in June, because June is National uh, Cancer Survivor Month. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we had a, a softball tournament. Each team had a chance to represent whatever cancer they wanted to represent. Of course, we represented breast cancer. We had an ovarian team. Um, we had a lung cancer team. And I want to say colon, colon. So what we did, we all got shirts, the color of you know, that, that particular uh, ribbon, we had plenty of food, you know, we had the kids out, everything is just about having a good time and join each other while you're here, because, you know, tomorrow isn't guaranteed to anyone. And also for those battling cancer, you know, it's not guaranteed. So why not enjoy yourself while you're here? Yeah. Well, and that, um, so was that like just for fun? Was that a fundraiser? <laughs> you know what? It was, it was a fundraiser as well. Okay. So what we did, we just asked uh, each team to uh, give 350 and part of it went to their shirts and the other part went to the foundation. Okay. So once we uh, gathered up as much money as we did, it's donated to a survivor. Whatever we do, it's always donated to a survivor. Okay. And what does, so if it's donated to a survivor, like what is, what is the intent behind that? Like, are you, um, is it for? The intent is to assist them with whatever they need help with. Okay. You know, so you it could be person, anything. It could be anything. You have okay. a person that's going through chemo. They, they, when they get done with treatment, they're not feeling too well. They might not be able to make it to work. Yeah. You know, people, lose their jobs, people fall behind on their bills, you know, car notes, rent, anything that they need help with. You know, I, I don't even ask them, well, are you behind or anything? Or do you know you need help with your treatment? You know, I don't I don't even ask. Whatever they decide to do with it, that's what they decide to do with it. Yeah. I did my part. Yeah, I love that. And I think, um, you know, that was, so I have a, I have an organization that I had started with the intention of providing, um, like monetary support to survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I realized like the time, the time that it takes to do that is a really big commitment. So I commend you first (laughs) of all for that, because I know what it's like to try to do that. Um, but there are many things where, you know, I know a lot of people, they don't realize, you know, what, is actually happening behind the scenes. And, mm-hmm. you know, just, just thinking about, um, you know, my experience and, and I was pretty lucky, but you know, there were times where like, I couldn't wash my hair. So I would have to go and I would have yeah. to pay to get my hair washed and then it would have to be done. And, um, not that it was a lot, but it was, you know, if somebody didn't have that ability to pay for that, you know, those are the kind of things parking, yeah. you know, like, many hospitals and facilities charge for parking and it's, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how long you're there, it could be, you know, $6 up to, you know, $20. Um, yeah. so I love that you are providing that financial support to, um, you know, survivors to help them through that piece of it. Because I think for me, I think that's one of the bigger pieces that is missing. Um, it, it definitely is. No, no one thinks about, what that person is going through. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll just give you an example. I have a friend that she does hair. So we do a raffle, $10 raffle. She's going to make a survivor a wig. Wigs are expensive. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I have a friend that does the microblading, the, the eyebrows. Mm-hmm. When you go through chemo, you lose hair. So you lose the hair on your head. You use the, you lose the hair on your eyebrows. So we do a raffle for that, you know, and we'll get pulled. You, you get your eyebrows did and you get a wig. I love that. That's, that's, that's some things that they, they can't pay for. Michael shave costs three, $350. A wig can go from anywhere to three to $500, depending on who's doing it. Right. So to have somebody 
to be able to donate their services to our foundation was a big help for us as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that. And I mean, truly, you must have some really great connections. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, within do. your community to be able to, I mean, just the, the brunch itself, um, mm-hmm. you know, that that could be, I would imagine, you know, a huge undertaking. So how many, like, typically, um, how many survivors would you have show up for one of the brunches? Um, well, survivors, I would say we would probably have about half and half. Okay. So the most we've had to attend was 80 people. Okay. So you would get at least half of each mm-hmm. and a little bit more as far as just the regular spectators just just, just coming to support. Okay. Well, and I like so that yeah, you we'll opened it up about to about 30 to 40. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and reality is, is that you're a fairly new um, foundation. So as time goes on, I'm sure that that will grow. Yeah, it will. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I know that you had said, um, well, first of all, let me ask this question. And then I do want to dive into something that you were like, this could be a completely different episode, but I want to, <laughs> I want to have the conversation. Um, okay. Are there any other things that um, the organization does to support um, those who are facing breast cancer? Well, I mean, you're doing a lot. Doing, let me say that. Like yeah, you're doing a lot already. Doing <laughs> right now is monetary donations as we grow you know we want to have we want to get more money first of all because I, I we get our money based off just basically asking for donations so eventually you know once we start to get grants and start to get a larger amount then we want to do the assisting with um like people that don't have insurance and individuals that mm-hmm. need chemotherapy and they can't afford it because that was an incident that my grandmother went ran into. It wasn't that she couldn't afford it. I believe um, one time when she came, she had a balance for a copay or something and they were trying to simply turn her around for a copay. When her insurance have paid you all thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars already. And her oncologist said, no, y'all going to see her today. I believe her, her cancer had came back. Mm-hmm. So they wanted her to start chemo right away. So when she went in, the lady at the front desk was like, oh, well, you have a copay of this or you have. And they got on the phone. They called the oncologist and he said, you all would not turn her around. You're going to see her today. So, you know, you don't have all oncologists that's like that. Right. <laughs> they may be like, oh, no, she owes us $200. You can't see her. Right. Come on, you all have made thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. So that just goes to show you, you know, it's, it's money over life. Right. Yeah. And I, um, like, it genuinely breaks my heart to have to say this, but I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's coming from somebody who, um, has had cancer and has gone through that experience. But I, um, just in talking to enough people, um, again, I, I was very fortunate, but I also know that I'm not, I'm not the average, you know, my circumstances Mm -hmm. aren't the same as everybody else's circumstances. I know there are many people out there who are struggling and many people who can't get what they need, um, just because of their, you know, whatever, whatever circumstances, Mm um, you know, so, so I, I do want to have the conversation with you because I, I think it's important. And like I said, I, I had made a promise to my friend. My friend is still here, um, but I had made a promise to my friend that if anything ever happened to her, that I would, I would do the work. Um, so I, I want to have the conversation. Um, you know, I'm not African-American, but I want to have an understanding and I want to know so that if something ever does happen to my friend, that I... I have that information and I can help be a part of the mm-hmm. community as much as I can, um, you know, to, to support the increased awareness, to make sure that um, African-American women and men are being treated and being treated appropriately um, so that we are seeing higher incidents of survivorship versus 
um, you know, the, the higher statistic of, of not making it. Um, okay. So what is it, um, what is it that you think, I mean, I, I heard you say that there's a lot of distrust in mm-hmm. the medical, you know, with, with doctors. Um, and you think that that just goes back to like them not doing anything? Like, can we talk about that real quick? Um, again, I think everything is about money. I'm not going to say all doctors sure. are not educated. However, I think that there are some that can go back and do a little more schooling. And I only say that, like I say, everything is based off my experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I had a uh, African-American primary care provider and she was wonderful. She ended up um, leaving and she didn't take my um, health insurance anymore. So I had to get with a new provider. So um, I don't know his nationality, but he's a, he's a foreigner. And when I tell you, even to this day, I I keep saying, I'm a, I got to go somewhere else. I got to find somebody else because I'm just not pleased with um, how he treats any issues that I tell him that I have, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. If, because, okay, where I go to now, I have, I don't have what they call a medical card. So I have private insurance. So I don't know if he thinks that everyone that walks in is either less fortunate or don't have what they need, or he, he just wants to play everybody as if they're a fool. So I'm one of those people (laughs) that when I come in, this is what's wrong. I need you to fix it. I don't need you to give me anything to take the pain away. I need to know why there's pain to begin with. Yes. And he say, and I, and I, it just baffled me. And I'm going to just give you an example. I had pain on my side. And this is why I say, I, this is why I just don't trust I mean, I came up with more resolutions than he did, but he's the one getting paid the big Exactly. <laughs> so I was having pain like on my side and my plank area, and it's been going on for a while. Every time I go to see the provider, I'm telling them, oh, we're going to give you some ibuprofen. It's inflammation. Okay, well, why is there inflammation? Right. You, you're telling me that there's inflammation, but inflammation is coming from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So at what point are you going to say, okay, well, let's stick a tube down, you know, to see what's going on in her intestines and her stomach. When are you going to get down to the issue? We shouldn't, we shouldn't have to leave our primary care providers and the next day still have the same problem, then go to the ER. Why do I got to go to the ER to get some type of treatment? Because when you go to the ER, it seems that, they're going to get down to what the issue is. And then they're going to say, okay, make sure you follow up with your primary care provider. ER visits cost a lot of money. Yes, they do. A lot of people don't have a lot of money. A lot of people don't have insurance. So a lot of people go, once they get that dissatisfaction, it's like, okay, whatever. Now they're just going around with a, a bad back, a bad stomach, you know, a bad throat, anything, and just walking around and don't know what's going on because they don't trust that provider. Right. I went last week. I had had blood pressure, never had had blood pressure ever. Where's this blood pressure coming from? Why is it so high? You know, where's the high blood pressure coming from? Um, yes, a little high. Okay. So, so are you going to give me anything for it? Or we're just going, I've been complaining about headaches for the last six months. Thank God. I didn't stroke out. Right. And some told me, no, go back and see your primary care provider. Okay, the same thing is happening again from when I saw you last time. I saw you six months ago, but yet you still didn't give me any blood pressure pills. It took for me to call you three days after my last appointment to say, look, my blood pressure is still high. I need you to send me something over. Oh, no, it shouldn't still be constantly. Well, yeah, you should have known that because I came to you six months prior. <laughs> but I have to tell you to give me something. Right. Well, you mm. should know to do that anyway, because you are the professional. Yeah. I mean, yes, that is exactly what 
they are there for. And so yeah. I would say, yes, you need a new doctor. And, but, it, but the sad part <laughs> is, <laughs> but the sad part is, is that there are people who may feel like they are stuck in that situation of Thank having you. that person as a provider and yeah. can't. And that's, and that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's really unfortunate. I mean, <gasps> what I really think is a whole other episode is just how tied down we are to insurance. Um, like mm-hmm. I am a big believer that if I have health insurance, I think we should all have equal health insurance um, regardless. Um, but I really genuinely feel like I shouldn't be stuck to going to a particular oncologist or plastic surgeon or whatever based mm-hmm. off of the kind of insurance that I have. Yeah, based um, off that kind of insurance. I yeah. mean, I've witnessed people you know, they, they treat people differently. They do. If you have state insurance versus having private insurance, you yes. know, no, you don't do that. Everybody is human. Everybody should be treated the same. I agree. But that goes back to when when they go and they're treated that way, they may not come back. Right. They'll just deal with whatever issue that they have because they feel like there's no hope. They right. feel like there's nothing or nobody that can help them, unfortunately, because of the color of their skin. Or if they do come in and get some help, it's, it's still not solving the problem. Right. It's just putting a Band-Aid on it. So that was, you know, um, so I, I am kind of curious. You know, I, it sounds like, and I certainly don't want to put words into anybody's mouth, but it sounds like some of the barriers are just the fact that, you know, there is a lack of insurance or underinsured, um, mm-hmm. which is a thing Low and income. a problem. Mm-hmm. And then having that distrust becomes another another barrier um, to getting adequate and sufficient care. Are there any other barriers, um, like based on your opinion or your experience or your, you know, your grandmother's experience, do you think there are any other barriers to getting that adequate health care? I don't think so. I just think if everything has started from history, you know, everything and nothing has really changed Mm -hmm. as far as what we've been through over the years, you know, it just seems to get worse. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, I think, um, like I had said, I, I did a research project and, um, my research project was on, um, living in America and having cancer, um, and being un or underinsured. And I was, I mean, it, like, it really struck me in terms of just how much people are turned away from care uh, when they don't have appropriate insurance, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and again, it came back to, you know, the, the specific population that was turned away the most or did not have the access to adequate care was the African-American community. And it just like, it has, this was, this was back in 2008 or 2009 and it okay. has never left me like I just (laughs) like it is it is something that I yeah I mean it just I it bothers me um and it I mean it's been 11 years you know worst case scenario it's been 11 years maybe 12 years um since that has happened and I don't think that anything has shifted nope and I thank God that like my grandmother was the type of woman she worked all her life so she had a pretty nice income. So she was able to afford it. Thank God. Because mm-hmm. if she wasn't able to, ain't no telling what would have happened. You know, as far as her going and they're trying to turn her around, she would, they would have had a lot of upset family members <laughs> at the clinic. <laughs> Rightfully so. I mean, it just, it's, yeah. it's scary. I mean, it really is. And I, you know, I think, um, you know, in terms of those barriers, so, you know, kind of what we talked about, so like low income, not having adequate insurance, and then having, you know, kind of that, that mistrust. I think those three things are the things that lead to African American women being diagnosed at later stages um, for breast cancer. Yeah. 
and then, and then trying to get the care, you know, it's, there might be a little bit of time, you know, if you're a stage one or a stage two, but once you're starting into stage three and stage four, I mean, that's like, we need to move and we need to move fast. Yes. Not that the other ones yes. <laughs> aren't important because I was a stage two and I wouldn't ever want to say like, you know, there wasn't some urgency, but realistically stage three, stage four, like you got to move um, and you got to move fast. You do. We have a, um, a young lady. She's been with us uh, since we first started uh, the foundation and we were looking for survivors to come and speak. And she was 28 wow. or 27 when she was diagnosed with um, um, infl- inflammation, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Infl- what is it? Um, it's inflammatory. Inflammatory breast cancer. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes. And she was 28. She said she, um, you know, you, you take the test to see, you know, if there's a possibility that you can get this disease. They told her she was okay. Hmm. It, it didn't come about until she had her baby and she was saying that my breast was, they were hurting so bad. And they were like, well, you know, your, your lymph notes may be for as far as with the, um, the milk, mm-hmm. I might be using the wrong vocabulary. I can't remember right now. Uh, milk ducts. That's what it was. Her milk ducts. Oh, it was probably a milk ducts clogged. And this is then the third. First of all, why are you saying it may be right? Let's find out exactly why. Yeah, she did just have a baby. But that don't mean that that's why it's hurting. Right. You know, and come to find out, that's what it was. And it was already in stage three. Wow. It was in stage three. But remember, she took the the genetic testing and everything. Oh, no, you're fine. You're okay. No, she wasn't. Right. So... How do you think a person feels after the professionals yes. tell her that, no, you're okay. That's, that's not a possibility that you would have breast cancer. But she, turns out she had the worst. Right. You know, the, 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 it, it's the worst cancer that you can have in your breast. Yeah. So here it is now. She's 30 and she has metastatic breast cancer. Oh. And she has three children. Oh, my gosh. You know, and I every time, like, when I talk to her, when I see her, I just be like, man, this is a strong woman. Yeah. Because I don't know if I could do that. Right. Well, and, you know, I think the, the hard part is um, my guess, my guess on this is because she was 27, because she didn't have a genetic mutation, they weren't mm-hmm. doing any kind of monitoring. So nope, no mammograms or nothing. Right. And you, you can't you don't have to be forty to right. breast cancer does not have an age. That's it. I, I could never understand I still don't understand why it's forty. I and, had issues with my breast before. Well you we'll send you to get an ultrasound. Okay. There's nothing there. Still have pain in my breast. Okay. Going back to the doctor. Can we? Can I get a mammogram? I mean, I'm letting y'all know there's pain. My maternal and my fraternal grandmothers both have breast cancer. So why are y'all overlooking a mammogram? Right. Because I'm 36. Right. So here it is. They put in an order for a mammogram, but when I got there, they saw my age and they said, "No, we're going to give you another ultrasound." So, but it's like, why? So every time, if I if I complain about it, thank God I haven't. But they say, you know, when they go over your chart, oh, you had a mammogram back? No, I did not. I had a um, ultrasound. Make sure you take that out of there. <laughs> that I had a, a mammogram. No, I did not. Right. Yeah. Well, and and that's you know, I mean, that's a whole other issue in terms of. You know, if you're seeking out a mammogram and they're trying to say that you already had one, the chart's wrong. Um, Thank you. So that's, pro- you know, that's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it is, um, you know, I, I had always had that problem too, where, you know, I just, I remember um, it was, 
I was diagnosed in March of 2007, and it was October of 2007. They, I lived in Pittsburgh at the time, and they turned the, um, the point um, pink. And I just remember standing there in the crowd, and I was by myself. Nobody had come with me. And I just remember them hearing, or I remember hearing them say, you know, um, that the suggested age for mammogram is over the age of 40 because, you know, there are very few women under the age of 40 who are diagnosed with breast cancer. <laughs> and it took everything in me to not scream. <laughs> like, you know, I was just like, that's so not true. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Like I'm 31. I am sitting here and I am 31. And, you know, like I had been saying, I had been saying to my doctors, like my, my, you know, there is something in my family. Um, when I found out that I had a, um, when my, when I found out my grandmother had ovarian cancer and my uncle had prostate cancer and, you know, it was like, there is this long line of history of cancer in my family. Oh, no worries. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) too far distant. You don't, you know, if your mother and your father haven't had cancer, you are fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's that generation that is skipped. Right. Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, I get it. I get, you know, it's frustrating. It's hard and it's frustrating. And, you know, the honest to goodness truth is, um, you know, I don't, I don't sit here and pretend that I know what it's like. Well, I know what it's like to be a woman, first of all. And I know that we are often dismissed. I don't know what it's like to be an African-American woman and have that piece of it also play into whether or not I get health care. Mm-hmm. or adequate support. So, um, you know, I think, I think the work that you're doing is important. I love that you're, um, you know, number one, providing awareness um, to the African-American community. I love the fact that you're providing financial support because I know that there are so many people out there that really just need that. Um, you know, houses, houses can be taken away and lost and, you know, people can't pay rent and sometimes they oh, yeah. can't even pay, you know, they can't even feed themselves. Can't um, feed themselves. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, it is, it's such great work. And, you know, again, you're such a young organization and I know that, you know, as time goes on, um, I think that your reach is going to be bigger and bigger and bigger and one day we're going to look back on this <laughs> and, <I'm not> right. <laughs> yeah, and just kind of say, look at where you started. Um, yeah. You know, every single person I can tell you, um, you know, just, just coming as somebody who has been impacted by breast cancer, every single person that you support and help, they will never forget it ever. <laughs> so I have a, I have one last question for you. If, people wanted to get involved um, or make a donation or anything like that, how, how could they go about doing that? Well, they can always um, email me at the pink heart foundation at uh, gmail.com. And they can all, always reach me as well on our Instagram, you know, cause everybody is so social media savvy. Yes. <laughs> at um at Pink Heart Foundation and the number one. Yeah. Good. Well, I am um like I said, I am just super excited for the things that are going to come um with your organization. If there is anything that I can do to help support um you, um, the African American community at large, please know that I am here. And I want to be um, involved in that. Okay. And we really do appreciate that. Absolutely. We need all the love and support. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate the conversation. No problem, Melissa. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. 
Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.
Absolutely.